Before we jump into the podcast, we have two very quick announcements for the students at the Willy Brandt School. First of all, the student government has planned a workshop on Microsoft Excel to be conducted by Diane Rodriguez, an alumna of the Brandt School. The workshop will take place in a hybrid format on the 7th of June at 6 p.m. More details coming your way soon. And of course, you probably already know about the 9 euro ticket for all regional bonds across Germany. All you need is your Tosca and a photo ID to access it. So happy travels and uh, yeah, and now let's jump into the podcast. We are living in an increasingly polarized world. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration. We must begin now. Welcome to the Bolton Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bulletin Podcast. Today, uh, I'm Noor and with me is... I'm Smriti. Uh, yes, and today we'll be talking about something that has been at the center stage of world politics and uh, in, uh, and, and the world media narrative, which is the, the war in Ukraine. And to discuss that, we have Dr. Siddharth Tripathi with us today. Uh, welcome, Dr. Tripathi. Thank you, Noor and Smriti, for uh, giving me this opportunity to discuss uh, the Ukraine war or the crisis as uh, uh, has been discussed in different locations. And I'm glad that uh, there has been some focus on the Global South, also, which is the <clears throat> uh, discussion of, of uh, or which is the topic of the discussion today. So let me just quickly uh, give you a brief background about myself and why I am focusing so much on the Global South. So I'm Dr. Siddharth Tripathi. Uh, I'm a senior research fellow at the Keta Hamburger College, Center for Global Cooperation Research, University of Duisburg, SN. And uh, I've been uh, an international relations scholar, mostly focusing on also peace and conflict studies. And uh, my location in the Global South and now in the Global North have exposed me to the convergences, but also divergences in the field as such. And uh, I've worked in a lot of post-conflict societies and uh, have realized how biased most of the time the discourses on these uh, conflicts are. And this also speaks very well to the current uh, what is called as war or crisis. I mean, there are different terms and different interpretations, you know. So so that's how uh, uh, I also started following how the Global South has been responding to the Ukraine crisis, which is something which is mostly missing or portrayed in a, in a certain way because we are talking about that in the Global North. So I think it's very interesting and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to your questions. Thank you, Professor, for your introduction and a quick uh, summary of what we are going to discuss today. So now moving on to the first question, uh, why is the Ukraine conflict uh, taking the center stage uh, in media or in just the general narrative? Uh, thank you, uh, Smriti. Interesting question. Uh, first of all, we need to understand uh, which media are we talking about and where is it located? So if we are talking about the media in the north, uh, then there are different explanations. And, and I'll quickly sort of you know, go through uh, the discussions which are happening in the media here and why it becomes important. You know? uh, so, and, and also I wanted to 
just mentioned at the outset that the media in the global south, at least in some of the countries that I have been following, has been very different from the from the narrative which has been discussed here. But here it becomes important because that's after I think the Second World War and the Balkans War. This is something which is very close to Europe. So the Ukraine crisis as and uh, it's a very clear sort of you know violation of sovereignty of a country and that is happening right on european soil so i think that is something which uh, has puzzled a lot of people or troubled a lot of people here and that is something which you also see in the media because till till now there have been conflicts i mean you know when we talk about afghanistan yemen syria you know uh, also in uh, uh, south sudan mali they were all happening somewhere out there. So there was a distance that was there to the conflict, right, or to the wars that were going on. So that doesn't mean that there were no conflicts going on. There were conflicts, you know, and they're still going on in so many other locations. But this is something which is about distance and proximity. So this is something which is very close to Europe. And that's why suddenly, you know, uh, uh, you know people here realize that because of globalization, you know, or uh, even without globalization, this is something which is very near to them. So there's, there's so much, that's why there's so much focus on Ukraine war. And of course, there are spillover, uh, uh, you know, effects around, but also movement of people, you know, especially from Ukraine to the other parts of, of Europe, uh, which goes again to the 2016 uh, refugee crisis, you know, uh, and and we can of course talk about the discourses on the refugees later, yeah. but but the the current sort of idea is that this distance has been felt now, that it is happening right here, and Russia has sort of you know breached all sorts of uh, uh, international sort of you know uh, world based or uh, uh, value based order, right? And and so that is something which is which is really a bit of a of a problem here, and uh, I guess that's why there's so much focus happening. So. Yeah, so when we are like talking about uh, globalization as well now, how do you think this uh, Ukraine crisis has kind of changed uh, international cooperation or affected it? So, uh, I mean, there have always been, uh, you know, different camps, so to say, we can call in the world. One is, of course, which is very much uh, defined as the West. I mean, it's not a homogeneous category, but broadly it's perceived as the West which follows, uh, I mean, at least broadly, people perceive that it follows uh, liberal order and uh, value-based international sort of, you know, uh, system. I have my doubts about that, how much it follows, but still, uh, you know, that that's a general understanding. So that's one sort of, you know, group of countries which sort of represent the West, mostly led by the United States. Uh, the second is, uh, or the second camp, uh, is those countries who do not or at least who challenge these these values they are of course put in a in a sort of you know uh, broadly in say non-democratic sort of you know countries or who follow authoritarianism for example i mean there's discussion on china or russia you know i mean that that's one now there's also another group of countries who do not try who do not subscribe to any of the sort of you know this this camp sort of ideology where there is one group which is the West, and the second is, you know, this authoritarian regime. So these, this is more uh, a group of neutral countries, and most of the countries 
are you know countries from the global south who do not want to take a very clear stand on that right not because they don't want to so nobody none of the countries have said oh i mean barring few countries none of them have said that uh, what russia has done is right but they have shied away from taking a very clear stand on that or speaking uh, against uh, russia in terms of the sanction regimes or the you know or or criticizing it at the united nations uh, uh, security council or human rights council because they don't have the privilege of choice is what i say because they know that you know their decisions are going to really impact uh, you know the the people who are part of these countries so when we really talk about how that has really uh, impacted on international cooperation i feel that the division that has been existed is really exposed now you know uh, where some of the countries are forcing countries to take sides and some of the countries are resisting to take sides because of their own context because of their own people because of their own needs which are very different you know uh, from i mean which are very different from countries which are based in the global north so you can very clearly see these fault lines which are there or happening at the moment and i'm not really sure if this is a very good time to talk about international cooperation maybe it is but uh i'm not really sure if that's really happening at the moment hmm. so uh, let's first try to shed some light on how europe has reacted or generally the global north has reacted to this entire um crisis or war as you said that both terms have different interpretations and meanings um just for somebody who's listening in for the first time has there been a homogenous response all across the global north to this crisis or has or have there been different sort of takes on it uh i mean when we talk about the global north you know uh it's important to understand what do we mean by that you know uh, if we are trying to really understand the homogeneity across the global north so we are clearly talking about in terms of economic sort of you know uh uh homogeneity here so we are talking about very broadly you know i don't want to get into the 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 uh, details of global north and global south but at a very broad level we are talking about countries who are developed economically right and when we, i mean so it includes say countries like you know united states uk uh, canada switzerland japan australia new zealand so these are this is what broadly is called as you know the global north now there has been sort of you know more or less very homogeneous uh, reaction but we need to understand that who within the global north is also setting the agenda and i guess that explains a lot you know so of course it's the united states have been taking the lead on setting the agenda here there might have been tiny differences in terms of the responses right based on the different country the the, the context of the different countries but broadly it has been you know very much led by the united states and also you know europe and it really reminds us of the cold war times mm-hmm. so there has been very clear sort of you know uh, response which is calling russia as an aggressor and uh, uh, asking countries to take very tough stance you know put sanctions on russia you know stop any sort of uh, engagement with it so that is broadly been uh, uh the discussion on how do we respond to russia and and if you follow the debates on in the un general assembly or the unsc or human rights council 
I mean, there are a lot of details which are available on how the countries have been sort of you know, responding to that. But I don't see much of a difference in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. So just to sort of focus in or hone in on the place that we're sitting and recording this is so Germany, right? So Germany has a very open economy, as we know, and it depends a lot on Russian oil and gas. So how how does a country in the global north that has such dependence or such economic cooperation with uh, Russia react? How have they reacted and what do you uh, in your uh, uh, and in your analysis make of that response? I mean, see, when we talk about the dependency, you know, that exists, uh, we need to also sort of look back that is, is it something which has, which we started doubting or questioning now, or it also, if we look at a few years back in 2014, the entire discussion on Crimea was going on. Right, a lot of countries in the north, I mean, including Germany, they did not sort of you know uh, stop having any uh, trade relations or sort of you know they they did not stop uh, the energy supplies from Russia. So we really need to sort of look that in the context, you know. And when we talk about, uh, I mean, now it's it's all like okay, fine, Russia is right at the doorstep in that sense if we see, right? So either it was a miscalculation or it was. Uh, I mean, it was something which they did not see it coming, right? But I have my doubts about that. I mean, there have been discussions on how Russia is going to act since the last year or something. I mean, there have been reports on that. So I'm, I'm particular. I'm not really sure if this should have come as a surprise, or it's, or you know, uh, something that they did not think it happening. So, uh, and and interestingly, I mean, now there has been a discussion on how. Uh, the countries in the global south also should uh, cooperate and put sanctions on Russia, you know. Uh, but if you really see the figures, that really speaks that if we, if we really look at the top 10 buyers, you know, uh, of uh, Russian sort of, you know, uh, gas and other, it's not the countries in the global south. Mm-hmm. Now, I think uh, as we are also talking a little about Global South, how do you think uh, the countries in Global South are reacting to this crisis, the responses of the Global North, how they are framing this conflict or overall, yeah? Uh, As I said, Smriti, you know, uh, the position of Global South is is very delicate, you know, so it's, and, and if we really look at even the Cold War, they, I mean, you know, and, and look at non-aligned movement. This was the whole idea of not taking sides, right? Also because they don't have the privilege of choice, as I said, right? So when we talk about the difference in response, uh, for example, you know, I can talk about India. So India very clearly says that uh, Russia is not our problem. It is not a threat for us. It, is, it might be a threat for Europe. That also means that any threat to Europe doesn't mean automatically mean that it's a threat for the entire world. Because that's a very Eurocentric view, right? That we are at the center of the world. What happens here happens everywhere. I mean, I agree in the sense that, you know, uh, we are all living in a globalized world. So if one event happening in one at one place would also have an impact everywhere else. But if we really see or try and understand other countries' perspectives, especially from the global south, 
I mean, they they have they have to take these decisions that do they cut all ties with Russia? How are they going to then talk about you know uh, <clears throat> uh, food security, energy security, right? Uh, and and if we really talk about uh, uh, so India has been very clear uh, on uh, on uh, uh, its response to the, to what the Europe to what the what Europe has been saying. And it has said that yeah, Russia is not a threat for us. China is, and that's also some of the Asian countries who consider China as a threat, and they have a sense that what if something like what Russia did in Ukraine, China starts doing, right? So that is the that's the geopolitical context. But if we talk about the humanitarian cost, right? A lot of countries uh, and and uh, you all must be following the debates happening in the UN. And the secretary, uh, uh, UN Secretary General, also talked about this hurricane of hunger, which has been sort of you know unleashed because of the current crisis you know going on. And you know when we look at global food prices, you know they 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 are already rising in double digits, already about twenty percent, and has been reaching their highest level, right? And in the global north, the prices do not uh, uh, impact as heavily as the countries in the global south. Right, because most of the people's income is spent in in the global south, spent on daily meals. So they are the ones who are going to be directly impacted by this rising food price. Uh, Ukraine and Russia, you know, they provide almost thirty percent of world's wheat, and barley one fifth of its maize and and half of you know sunflower oil. So if we really and and uh, most of the countries in Africa, you know, it's it's forty five African countries and least developed countries. And uh, more than 18 have more than sort of uh, 50% uh, import. So how are we going to really talk about, you know, uh, bridging this, this gap which exists, right? Uh, they, they will, there's also a, disrupt, a disruption in the supply chains. And when we talk about uh, uh, the disruption of supply chains, it's going to impact on uh, inflation. It's going to impact on economic activity, which is going to further push the countries in the global south in debt trap. Right. So they, they, there are a lot of things which are sort of you know uh, spilling onto uh, onto uh, the countries, and who they are going to bear the burden of of these. Also, when we talk about energy, right, there is a huge section you know where uh, of countries in the global south who are living in energy poverty. And they don't have access to electricity as such, right? And so when you have uh, already a, a food crisis happening, there's already an energy crisis happening. I mean, can we really imagine that they are going to uh, be in a position to decide, you know, or estrange all the ties with Russia? I don't think so. And I think it's 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 just a, a privilege of choice, you know, that they don't have. So I would uh, uh, a very interesting saying in Swahili uh, comes to my mind at the moment. Uh, it goes like that: when the elephant makes love, the grass uh, suffers. When the elephants fight, the grass still suffers. So I think that really encapsulates the position of global South countries, you know, and and their response to the current uh, crisis. Uh, that was quite a, how should I say, it was, it, it, it's a quite profound way to sum it up, 
uh, with the saying that you just talked about. So does this mean that the global south is sort of in the conflict held hostage with what what with their position is there is there no way out for them in the short term because again in the long run we all hope and want that this war is put to bed and the conflict ends but in the short term is there is there any way out in your opinion uh i mean at, at a very abstract level yeah sure you know we can say that uh, they can all believe in a value-based international order, you know, and, and, you know, but that's a very moral ethical position. And some of the countries have actually, when you look at even responses from Kenya and other countries in the global south, they've been very clear, even the African Union has come up and, and very clearly uh, uh, taken a stance, you know, calling Russia as an aggressor. But that is, you know, that is one level. The second level is, are they going to really take, or you know, impose sanctions. I don't think that's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? And I, I mean, in the short term, I mean, I really don't see uh, a quick fix solution to that, because you know there's been so many entanglements at different levels. You know, when you talk about economic entanglements or supply chains and others, you know, I don't really see that there's any quick fix solution at the moment, yeah. because all of these countries are linked to some countries in the north you know so or even within within the south so until unless there are clear uh, dependencies which are created in the global south i don't see that you know uh, things look very uh, positive for the countries right uh, yeah building on further uh, we talked about hunger we talked about economic dependence uh, energy dependence uh, to russia and so on uh, what but how do you think uh, this ukraine conflict has kind of affected international cooperation but in terms of peace and conflict uh, when we talk about global south especially yeah mm. i mean so when we talk about peace and conflict uh, Smith, it's very interesting because first of all, I mean, there are different you know dimensions to that. First dimension that I see is that Ukraine uh, crisis has taken a center stage. So everything else, you know, whether we talk about Afghanistan, whether we talk about Yemen, whether we talk about Syria, when we talk about you know South Sudan, whether we talk about DRC, and whether we talk about Mali, we are not discussing that. So, and what happens when we're not talking about that doesn't mean that things have stopped there, right? Everything is still going on. There are still people who are suffering because of the same things which we see now when we're talking about in the case of Ukraine. These things have been going on in all these places still, and we're not talking about that. That's the first thing that is important, you know, that there has been also a racialization in terms of... uh, uh, what gets precedence, you know, in terms of what we are discussing, right? So that is one. And that's something which we also see when we talk about a refugee crisis, which is also, you know, uh, coming out of conflicts. So there's a lot of immigration, you know, happening and uh, uh, immigration in Europe, you know, is happening. And you very clearly see who are considered as the the good refugees, so to say, and who are not the good refugees, you know, uh, in terms of uh, 
looking similar or not similar so you know that, that that's that's the second thing that i i see when we talk about uh, you know peace and conflict overall so that's the second now when we also look at uh, uh, the entire discussion on peace i mean i don't think there's so much discussion on peace there's more discussion on conflict right there's more discussion on war and there's also more and what that means is and and that that is everywhere whether we talk about the north whether we talk about the south all the countries have this sense of insecurity and they think that and and i'm talking about insecurity in a very realist sense you know where it is about securing yourself from the other so you know we're not talking about human security here we're talking about state security and the entire discussion is on okay how do we get more arms right so the the entire discussion on uh, uh, arms control or disarmament has taken a back seat now right so all the countries are trying and 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 uh, all this discussion on arms race and uh, you know so who who is who is going to suffer at the end of it where is the bu- defense budget coming from at what cost right so so we are we have stopped really talking about human security as such we stopped talking about climate change as such so the entire discourse on peace and conflict has has really been shifted and is very much determined by very realist understanding or real politic you know sense of uh, international relations and international politics i mean there was always this hierarchy between international relations and peace and conflict studies as disciplines anyways because ir talked about state security and focusing you know at Uh, uh, on the states and uh, i mean things have evolved in the discipline as such but if you really look at the roots of it and it looks like you know we are going again to that same you know discussions so right. instead of moving forward i think we are just going in in circles right um so just to cap it all off i think that there's one actor that the two actors that are involved russia and ukraine we haven't talked too much about them so so specifically from say the perspective of ukraine they clearly have a moral right to defend themselves the sovereignty of their nation and they're doing their best in that regard and the world is 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 with them or, or in in the form of aid military aid or weapons themselves but what should be the imperative of the ukrainian leadership with in this time is it fight back or is it try to negotiate a way out of this what, what do you think is the best route, route forward given the very bleak picture that you have painted uh so i will have a very quick response to that noor i am not from ukraine i mean we are all getting impacted by or at least we have been all all we have all been following the war from the outside right so i don't think we are in the right position to discuss what ukraine should or the ukrainian leadership should do that's for the ukrainian people to decide and i think that should be very important you know that their voices should come and become the center instead of the experts you know who are giving their opinions on on this Mm-hmm. so i don't think you know i'm in the position to answer because i also the war came to us through media and through you know um through tv and other and newspaper outlets so we have the luxury of that choice 
where we can turn it off and then go and and do our business as usual there are people who are actually getting impacted directly in in that you know uh, in that context in that field mm-hmm. and they don't have the choice right it's their lived experiences for all of us who are discussing this will be yet another crisis like any other crisis that has happened whereas for us i, I mean you know whereas uh, uh, for us we 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 can sort of you know go on and and uh, after few few months you know with time will I mean it will be to time to move on i have seen that in afghanistan i have followed bosnia herzegovina i have followed kosovo and and you know so so life goes on but i guess uh, uh, there should be some discussion on who should speak you know or or who can give their expert opinion on that so i have a bit of doubt or you know on on terms of in terms of my own personality to be able to say give any advice as such right okay. and i would just restrain sort of to not say that okay yeah. all right that's actually very uh that that's a very uh, measured stance to it and i i think you can respect that and and um so just to finish any any concluding thoughts that you might have so just to continue what i have been saying there's a very nice poem you know from mary andrew mm-hmm. and uh, it's from notes from the first few days of 2020 and i would just maybe end uh, with her poem it's not mine but i would want to quote it because i think it resonates very well with what i have been trying to say and and it sort of uh, it's it's a beautifully written sort of you no know, very short poem so it goes like this i am washing my face before bed while a country is on fire it feels dumb to wash my face and dumb not to it has never been this way and it has always been this way someone has always clinked a cocktail glass in one hemisphere as someone loses a home in another while someone falls in love in the same apartment building where someone grieves the fact that suffering mundanity and beauty coincide is unbearable and unremarkable thank you professor i think yeah. this was a very moving and a good way kind of to end this yeah. podcast and yeah we're very thankful for your time um it was very engaging insightful and thank you yeah yeah, yeah thank you very much thank you nurens smriti